As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. Why Joseph Matters. A talk by Simone Smith at the Immaculata Mission School 2018, held at Jane Franklin Hall in Hobart, Tasmania. So I'm very happy to be here, and maybe I will start with my own little prayer for you as well, um, and for myself and for you. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks and praise for this day. I just give you thanks and praise for this opportunity, Lord, to, um, yeah, to talk about your servant, St. Joseph. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you pour down your Holy Spirit, that you open up our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that as we learn more about St. Joseph, that you would bring healing, that you would bring light, that you would bring, yeah, your peace, your joy, yeah, to all of my brothers and sisters here. I pray to increase in their hearts, yeah, love for St. Joseph um, and a greater appreciation for his role in the mystery, in the mysteries of salvation and um, in, in how, yeah, he intercedes for us. And, yeah, and we just, we love you, Lord, and, um, and we give all glory to you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saint Joseph. Saint Andre Bisset. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So happy feast day of Saint Andre Bisset. I only found that out today that it's his feast day, but he is one of the greatest sort of saints of St. Joseph who had a great love for St. Joseph and he built, or through him, was built the greatest, uh, like the largest shrine of St. Joseph in the world in in Canada. Um, So I'm so happy to have his intercession today for this talk. Um, So I thought I'd start with a little joke. Um, I'm just being inspired by Paulella, but I have like a really quite bad Irish accent, so just bear with me and I'll just try my best to do an Irish accent, but if it doesn't work, just listen to the words that I'm saying. Uh, and I won't do it all in an accent or anything. But basically, um, so just picture the scene, it's um, Northern Ireland and on a, a, a street corner, um, there's a Catholic priest and a Protestant pastor and they're standing outside in... Um, you know, near the road, their, their churches are actually quite close to each other. Um, and in a sort of show of solidarity, they're both holding up these big signs that the passing traffic can see. And uh, the pastor has this sign that says, the end is near. And then the Catholic priest has this sign next to him that says, turn yourself around before it's too late. So they're in this great sign of solidarity and you know, as cars go by, they're beeping the horns and they see this car go by and he rolls down the window and it's beeping the horn and just, just yells out, um, why don't you just leave us alone, you religious nutters, and, you know, with all this. And, <laughs> and then they, you know, they're holding up the signs and the car turns around the corner and suddenly they hear this screech of brakes and then this big splash. And the priest turns to the pastor and says, do you think, Pastor Joe, that we should change the sign to say, beware, the bridge is out? <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes things aren't as we appear, or sometimes it's, you know, we think we're, <laughs> we think we're reading between the lines or we're reading the, the words, but we don't often get the meaning, the deeper meaning that um, is being conveyed. So, uh, so I'm sorry, it's a bit heated here. 
And that's so typical of St. Joseph, but we brought him up for the hall. In case you hadn't noticed, he had been sort of standing guard um, at the front of the hall. Um, so, yeah, we're here today to talk um, about a dear friend of mine, St. Joseph, and um, hopefully if he's not already a dear friend of yours, this will help you to um, appreciate him more. And, um, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous again today. Uh, because this, I'm not, you know, I actually, I haven't given many talks in my life or anything, so I'm not really used to this, so, but I'm just happy to, I really feel like, yeah, we all are brothers and sisters, and um, I've been really blessed to learn about St. Joseph, so just to share with you as, yeah, stuff that I've learned. Um, so I kind of thought, I'll call it Why Joseph Matters in, t- in um, Taking from Paul Ellard. Okay, so I thought we'd just start with myths to debunk, and the myth first myth I would like to debunk is that St. Joseph was very old at the time he married Our Lady. Um, so we often have seen in imagery St. Joseph as a very old sort of figure. Um, and um, yeah, like I just, like the first thing I should probably to say is with St. Joseph, it's true that there's lots of things that, you know, like we don't have really clear, concrete historical evidence for all the things in his life. But we have a lot more than we think, because there is a lot in the scripture. Sorry, that, I'm jumping ahead of myself. That's the second myth to debunk, but there's not much on St. Joseph in scripture. Um, but, but with this one, um, just to put it out there, that um, there was actually, um, like historically, um, s- certain images of St. Joseph um, as like an older, like widower, um, sort of began to come into like iconography because of um, a book called, I think it was, yeah, The Proto-Evangelium of St. James, which was like a later kind of apocryphal book that isn't scripture. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure, I don't really know much about the book. There may be some good things in it or what have you. But um, in a way, like it's a bit more sort of, what would you say, um, what's the word, not like a myth, but a bit legendary. Um, and there was sort of trying to show that there was a... T- kind of wanting to safeguard Our Lady's virginity and, and sort of just have this image of St. Joseph that, um, that they, they, I suppose they sort of thought, it wasn't like a conspiracy or anything or like trying to, but it was just they, there was sort of this, um, yeah, just a portrayal of St. Joseph in this way. Um, but really it's, it's um, fairly well like accepted um, particularly in the West. The East and West have some like different ideas and there's no like set thing, but that um, that St. Joseph most likely would have been just a few years older than Our Lady, um, because that was a typical age for um, Jewish men and women, you know, to get married in that time. Um, and it's generally accepted in the West that, um, you know, that, that St. Joseph too um, had never been married, and I don't want to get off track into, you know, sort of scripture like to exegesis on the brethren of Our Lady and stuff like that, but that... Um, yeah, generally speaking, it's, it's um, held that like, these are like cousins and relatives and that St. Joseph was, um, yeah, he was a young man. And, you know, there's all sort of other, um, like, arguments from tradition, like, you know, um, that our Lord entrusted um, Our Lady to a young man, St. Joseph, John at the end of her life. And, and that, you know, because it was almost like we don't want to sort of maybe show that he's young or anything because it might... Um, it might um, somehow compromise, you know, like, and, and it's, you know, it sort of doesn't give um, enough credit to St. Joseph and his, 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 his great chastity, his great purity. 
Um, so does that make sense? Um, I don't want to get sort of stuck on that. It was just one sort of little, you know, sort of thing. Because it's, it's, I think it's our, our imagination and our image of St. Joseph has, can be influenced by, like, these sort of images. I can't remember if I put it in the slide there, but, yeah, this, the second myth um, that we want to debunk is that, um, you know, there's not much in Scripture on St. Joseph. Who, who's, who's either heard that or maybe said it themselves before? Yeah. Um, and perhaps going along with that, sometimes people say it in, in a very beautiful way, you know, like there's no word spoken by St. Joseph evil either in the, in the Gospels. Um, but then also sometimes that's used as a bit of a, oh, you know, he doesn't say much or, you know, like sometimes we can get this impression that he's unimportant. So that's the other, I suppose, main myth that we want to um, counter by, yeah, by looking at him and just how... Um, yeah, just how important he is in God's plan, actually, um, in, in salvation, but also for our own lives. So, okay, so we're going to go to um, the scriptures. So we're going to go to the Annunciation um, as our first, um, yeah, our first scripture that we're going to look at um, for St. Joseph. Has that surprised anyone that we're going to the Annunciation of Our Lady? Doesn't surprise Jess. So I'm just, I'll, yeah, I'll just read from the beginning of the, um, the Annunciation, um, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So very familiar words to us, this scene of the Annunciation. Did you notice anything about it when I read it out that time? Jess, you're nodding your head very enthusiastically. Joseph's name comes before Mary's. Yeah, Joseph's name comes before Mary's, yeah. So actually, Mary is mentioned in relation to her relationship with Joseph. And there was another name in there that was important too in that sentence. David. David, yeah. So... Um, St. Joseph, yeah, as the descendant of David, um, you know, the one who gives um, our Lord his, um, yeah, that lineage to be in the line of David. Um, so, yeah, so with that, um, it's, yeah, I think it's just, it's so important for us to, um, to kind of um, try to get it into our mind to, to, when we think of Our Lady um, and Our Lord, that Joseph's always there, like they are a family, they're in relationship, and God um, actually chose St. Joseph, elected St. Joseph, you know, in his plan. So right back at the Annunciation, it's not like Mary was like an unwed mother, actually. So she was betrothed to Joseph. It is a bit different from our modern engagement. Um, It's not just that they were like, Fiancés, they were married, but there was the second stage of their marriage. So marriage, so they have got a different, um, a different right of marriage, yeah, in, in the Jewish culture. Um, so, like, I just think this is this is really quite important. Um, and yeah, so they, they they had the betrothal in the in the two phases, and you can sort of see it in the scriptures. Um, and then you know the, the bridegroom comes. Um, and, and, and takes the bride to the house. You hear the, the parables of the, the, the bridesmaids waiting for, like, the bride to come. And So this is sort of in that first time that they're betrothed. Um, and 
So I just want to go down to um, a little bit late, uh, you know, a little bit further down in the in the in the Annunciation, um, when the angel, you know, so the angel gives her the message: "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High." And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, and now in the RSV it says, how can this be since I have no husband? Although RSV is normally very good, that's actually not a very good translation. It's, it's, it's more like, how can this be since I know not man? And know is, is a biblical word which is... Yeah, which is indicating um, sexual knowledge of the other person. So that so she's saying, I'm a virgin. In other words, I think the Jerusalem Bible says. Because, yeah, sometimes it's like we're reading the answer and it's like, oh, okay, it does sound like she's not you know, married yet or maybe just engaged with St. Joseph. So that's just one little thing. Normally RSV, very good, but this is one I, I normally just usually think of it as I know not men. Um, and I think someone else mentioned this the other day, that her question actually um, indicates, seems to, you know, seems to indicate that she had already um, consecrated herself to God in virginity because otherwise when, he, when the angel gives this message, it, it, it seems like it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't make sense for Our Lady to say, how can this be? Because she's married and in the Jewish culture she's married, even now, <laughs> going to have a family. So I'm going to have a child with my husband, you know, Joseph. So it sheds light that, um, that she would have already had this. And I think, so, again, I can't remember who the speaker was. Maybe it was Tom or something that, that um, or Father, um, that Father Anthony Mary, yeah, yeah, that St. Joseph would have also, um, even, even, even if not at this point, at some point, he got that, obviously, not knowledge from Our Lady and consented to it, you know. And maybe he had, again, an enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in his own life. You know, there, there is a mystery surrounding the Holy Family and surrounding St. Joseph. You know, so there are these things, and I remember when I was doing my thesis and studying, there were certain things, and I was like, oh, you know, what's the, like, what's the answer? Because there's, there's different theories about why he wanted to separate from her and all this stuff, and it got me really frustrated, actually, because I like to, you know, know exactly what it is. But there is an element of mystery, and the church hasn't given us a definitive interpretation of this. And uh, there's many saints with different theories on, you know, um, there's different theories on, you know, these things. So that's part of, I suppose, um, learning to appreciate St. Joseph is like the deep like mystery in it, the, the holiness of these mysteries. Okay, so then we have obviously Our Lady's answer. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And Pope Benedict says, we should pay attention to that last line. The angel departed from her. So it's not like he was there giving her all the, you know, updates of God's will, um, you know. Just like us, you know, she had to pray, she had to, um, you know, with St. Joseph, they had to, you know, um, work things out with God's grace, with God's help. So now we're going to go to another um, passage of Scripture, and this is the Annunciation to Joseph. So St. Joseph had an, an Annunciation too. And this is what, and John Paul II says, 
it forms a strict parallel with the Annunciation to Mary. So we should be thinking of them together. So we'll go to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so Matthew 1, 18. Yeah, so here we have... Um, yeah, the Annunciation to St. Joseph. Um, the message of the angel. And... Um, Yeah, and I'll just be honest with you. As I said before, you know, when I was studying, there is, in a sense, different theories on, the, you know, what this meant. Like some saints think that St. Joseph sort of knew that Our Lady was, had conceived of the Holy Spirit and he, he was sort of departing from this mystery. Others thought that, you know, especially more in the early church, thought that he maybe suspected adultery and was separating himself. And probably the, the, maybe the most kind of um, maybe the most accepted one that he was you know he had this sort of anguish like he didn't know like he knew our lady knew she was holy and he just couldn't understand you know what had happened and especially again if we're thinking about him knowing about her her promise and um, you know of, to remain a virgin and I feel like there actually is no easy answers and even in my own like journey of studying deeply into like the different saints, the different theologians who sort of pose these theories, I've kind of vacillated in what I think, actually. So I'm, I, I ask for forgiveness if that's frustrating. But there is different um, interpretations there. Um, but I think what is really so important to take to heart is the designation of St. Joseph as a just man and that... You know, a man who was deeply seeking the will of God and that, um, you know, he wasn't like abandoning Our Lady. Um, he, you know, he, he had this struggle. He had this, um, you know, this darkness in this time. Um, but, you know, with this Annunciation, obviously he gets, you know, this revelation that... Um, you know, this is what you must do, you know, take your wife. Um, and, you know, his response is this immediate, you know, obedience to God. And also, you know, the, the, um, like the issuing of this mission from the angel, you know, he gave Our Lady this mission and she said this yes. And here the angel is saying, you know, Joseph, son of David, again, evoking that, like, royal lineage that he has, um, you know, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, you know. That which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you shall call his name Jesus. You know, you are going to na name this child. And, um, and that, you know, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And, you know, Pope Francis, I just found this recently, he said, um, Joseph, this is this Pope Francis speaking, Joseph fought within himself. In that struggle, the voice of God is heard. But get up, that get up, which is heard so many times in the Bible at the beginning of a mission, take Mary, bring her to your home. Take charge of the situation. Take this situation in hand and go forward. Joseph didn't go to his friends to be comforted. He didn't go to a psychiatrist so that he could interpret the dream. 
No, he believed, and he went forward. He took the situation in hand. But what must you take in hand, Joseph? What was the situation? What was it that Joseph had to take up? Two things, fatherhood and mystery. That's pretty profound. Pope Francis likes to do that, like throw out these like questions when he's preaching. Um, but that you know he had, he, you know he was so strong that you know when he had this clear revelation from the Father in the midst of this confusion, um, this lack of clarity about um, his whole future, you know, like it just it all seemed to be you know like this, this is completely out of their you know, his league out of, you know, just what was going on here, you know. Um, and, but, you know, God gives this revelation and he, you know, he gets up. And I like to say too that this is, um, so this is Joseph's fiat, getting up and doing what the angel asked. And I feel like it's in contrast to, I mean, not exactly, it's just an image, but like Our Lady, you know, said those beautiful words, let it be done unto me. But Joseph, yeah, there is that silence, but it's like his fiat, is his action. And that's part of the masculine genius, I think. And there is a, a masculine genius, and more people are starting to think about it and write about it. Um, and, yeah, there's something, I think, yeah, really that, um, you know, to, to, to really get up and to go forward. That there's something that, you know, that in a very beautiful particular way, um, you know, God is, you know, calls men to do. Um, and that's what he was calling St. Joseph to do for his family, you know, Our Lady and, and um, the child Jesus. Um, yeah, so, and in this, you know, he's given this mission from the father and it's this mission to be a husband and a father. And, um, you know, like there's so, um, yeah, this is a profound mystery. Because I've got a lot, so I'm not really sure where to go exactly, but maybe let's just go to another... Um, like another source in scripture, um, yeah, we, where we sort of, I don't know, get to learn a bit more about St. Joseph. And that's, we'll keep going in, in Matthew. Chapter 2, verse um, 13. Okay? So, um, so basically we know that um, after the... Um, okay, so the you know the magi come and visit um, our Lord, and um, you know after the visit of the magi, um, you know and a lot of these things it's like we're familiar with, um, and so it's like we have to sort of try to go back into it again, and it'll really get into our heads and our hearts like what's really happening here, you know the seriousness of it, and 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 you know just what it would have really meant, um, and so. You know, it's it's basically says, you know, now when they had departed, this is the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then the next line says, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So again, you see this immediate, immediate active obedience on the part of St. Joseph. So that's angelic visitation number two. And then we go down, you know, they, they, they went out to, um, to Egypt. And you notice again, it's like, you know, 
St. Joseph didn't get to ask any questions. The angel didn't tell him, you know, which road to take to Egypt. Um, you know, it's, this is actually really incredible. We've really got to, you know, get our heads around it. Like, um, had a really good um, reflection by St. Jose Maria. It's, sorry, this, uh, the St. John, John Chrysostom. Um, okay. On hearing the angel's message to flee, Joseph was not shocked, nor did he say, this is strange. You yourself made it known not long ago he would save his people, and now you are incapable even of saving him? We have to flee, to set out on a long journey and spend a long while in a strange place? That contradicts your promise. Joseph does not think this way, for he is a man who trusts God. Nor does he ask when he will return, even though the angel left it so vague. Stay there until I tell you to return. Joseph does not object. He obeys and believes and joyfully accepts all the trials. So I really love that. Like, you know, he, they're just in darkness, you know, in terms of, um, you know, what to do. But there is this trust in God, this continued reliance on God. And then, you know, then, like, they go, and, and we don't know how long they're in Egypt, maybe, like, even a few years um, when, jo- when um, our Lord was small. Um, you know, Joseph would have had to found, find work um, in a foreign country. Um, you know, it just, it really bears, medita- you know, actually going to these scriptures yourselves and, and, and just meditating on this. You know, so that whole, oh, there's not much in scripture. Rubbish. There's lots in scripture. We just have to go deeply into it. Um, and, yeah, so, okay, so that, you know, angel- that second angelic visitation there. Then, you know, it goes on. After Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So it's just this mirror. The angel says something and, and St. Joseph does it, you know. Um, it was like that video this morning, you know, he was listening to God. Um, and then again, then there's, there's one more, you know. He is on his way back, but he's afraid to go in there. So he himself is a prudent man. He's looking at the situation, um, you know, he, and, and he's sort of, you know, doing his best in, the, in that situation. He's discerning. Um, and then again, the angel comes and confirms it again, um, you know, to that it's, like, safe now, basically. Um, and so then he goes and dwells in Nazareth. So it's, um, you know, and you might sort of think, oh, well, you know, like here he has this direct line, you know, it's, okay, easy for him to get kind of get up straight away and do what the angel said. You know, he's got the angel telling him to do it. But there's all those times in between, you know, in Egypt, on the way to Egypt. He got, it said he got up immediately, took Mary and the child Jesus. So they weren't packing a lot on their donkey there, you know. They didn't have a lot, you know. He didn't even know, the angel didn't even say, you know, go west or whatever. He knew he had to go to Egypt, so obviously I know St. Joseph knew the way to Egypt. But, you know, he didn't know what road to travel. Um, yeah, part of the masculine genius, you know, good sense of direction. You know, uh, <laughs> don't quote me on that one. No, um, so, you know, um, he was a disciple. 
St. Joseph was a disciple and he really, you know, he listened to God. Um, and he's so humble. St. Joseph, as we heard earlier, is the descendant of David. So he's the true king of Israel. Have you ever thought about that? Like, until St. Joseph, uh, Jesus is of age. Yeah, whoa, right? That should blow a few of your brain cells, as Paul Ellard said. Like, he's the true heir. He's the uncrowned king of Israel at that point. There's, there's a book called The Uncrowned King of Israel. It's only, yeah, the line. I mean, basically, I think that what they're saying is, this guy's royalty. And let me tell you, when a royal walks into the room, the atmosphere changes. I know. Yeah. He does. Yeah. And basically, what we're trying to say is, look, this, this guy's not, he's not just, uh, he doesn't work for Ikea as a carpenter. He's something really quite special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I guess, yeah, that's the thing. It's like he, he comes from this royal, you know... Um, royal household. Yeah, household. And, but, you know, his life is so hidden and so humble. So, you know, like I say, like, you know, he was a tradie. Um, you know, he was a tradesman, and that's what Jesus was too. Um, and that's, you know, he taught Jesus. Um, so it's like he, he has this great, um, you know, sort of um, dignity, but it's, yeah, I mean, as you say, like there's probably others, you know, like in that thing. But, you know, I suppose his real kind of, in a way, we could say, you know, royalty, how he really shows it is in his service. So like Lumen Gentium says, to reign is to serve. And he is th this servant, the servant of Our Lady and the servant of Jesus, but not just the servant in the sense of, um, kind of maybe like in a in a like a natural way as a husband and father. Like yes, he was, but even um, because this of this unique family, and because of the unique identity of the son that he had been given, who is God and man. Um, you know, Joseph. He he. He's at the service, directly at the service of the mystery of the incarnation and the redemption. Because, that, and that's sort of like a really big statement, but, um, you know, he has this role. You know, he, he's protecting the Holy Family. He is, you know, guarding Jesus and Our Lady. And, you know, he... He's the one that God has chosen to safeguard these mysteries. Um, so Pope Paul VI said, We see that at the beginning of the New Testament, as at the beginning of the Old, there is a married couple. But whereas Adam and Eve were the source of evil which was unleashed on the world, Joseph and Mary are the summit from which holiness spreads all over the earth. The Saviour began the work of salvation by this virginal and holy union, wherein is manifested his all-powerful will to purify and sanctify the family, that sanctuary of love and cradle of life. So he's, he put it's pretty big, you know, but he, he's, he's saying, um, like, you know, not to take away, obviously, of, like, the total preeminence of the image of Jesus as the new Adam, Our Lady of the New Eve. Like, he's not questioning that, but he's saying, like, here is this, you know, this couple, St. Joseph and Our Lady, and their, you know, their marriage 
um, you know, was, was ordained by God, but then they both said that yes, so they both had the Annunciation and they both had their fiat, right? It's like this divine mission is given to this, this, this marriage and this family. And actually, John Paul II talks about, you know, when Our Lady goes to Elizabeth and she says, blessed is she who believed that what the Lord spoke to her was true. And he said, in a certain way, Joseph shares in the blessedness of Our Lady because he too believed. So we've got this, um, he, he's got this actual legal fatherhood over Jesus, which God gives him and he gives him the name and everything. But he's got this like fatherhood in faith is like what John Paul II kind of calls it. Um, and yeah, so Paul VI goes on and he actually calls him a minister of salvation. Why? I mean, because he's, he's directly kind of safeguarding our Lord. And, and we know that our Lord didn't just redeem us on the cross, like yes, preeminently, but his whole hidden life, every act of our Lord throughout his whole hidden life was salvific. And, um, you know, Our Lady and St. Joseph were directly kind of cooperating in that. You know, we're all called to be co-redeemers, but in a very special way. We know Our Ladies, the, you know, with her son, the co-redemptrix. But sort of under that is St. Joseph. Um, and it's all pretty, like, it's pretty, like, kind of deep, isn't it? It's, like, not something you can just, like, hear and be like, oh, yeah, you know, so even I'm just kind of still like, you know, and I've done lots of study, but it's not, it's like, this is like deep mysteries. Um, so I just, you know, there's probably been lots of little things that I've opened up and that we clearly don't have time to, you know, delve more deeply into, but I just want to encourage you to keep sort of searching and keep looking at St. Joseph. Um, so I want to just, because I feel like we are going to have to sort of wrap it up. Oh, 15 minutes, okay. Well, that's not too bad. Um, so... Pope Paul calls him this minister of salvation, and then he says, so I'm quoting again, his fatherhood is expressed concretely in his, ha- in his having made his life a service, a sacrifice to the mystery of the incarnation and to the redemptive mission connected with it. So his life was in service of Jesus, right? Jesus is the incarnate word who came to save us. So his life, he gave his life as like a sacrifice to serve you know, Jesus um, in this very special way. And then he said, you know, he ma- basically saying he makes this total gift of himself um, in the Holy Family, you know, of his life and of his work. So just everything, you know, like he gave his, and this is like Father's doing, like everything is, um, you know, in service of the family. Um, and it says, this is really big, in having turned his human vocation to domestic love, into a superhuman oblation of self, an oblation of his heart and all his abilities into love placed at the service of the Messiah growing up in his house. Now, an oblation is a, is a sacrifice. Um, so, you know, that he called it, the Pope says, a superhuman oblation of self, an oblation of his heart and all his abilities. Um, so he just gave everything, you know, um, and and his yes, um, you know, it, it's it really is connected in this you know profound, mysterious way with with the redemption because here he is cooperating in the plan of God. Um, 
Is that clear? Like it's deep, but is it sort of clear? Like, okay, maybe I'll, to be honest, I'm sort of not sure how, you know, how to link it all up, um, but maybe I'll just share a little bit more about, um, are we all like interested? It's like, it's, it's awesome stuff, isn't it? It's like, you just don't, you know. Um, so maybe I can share like a little bit more about his fatherhood and then like, I guess I want to also leave, you know, a bit of time just to talk about, um, I guess, um, oh, this, this is so much, but basically, so what are the practical things that we can do to also, like, grow in our love and devotion to St. Joseph and practically and, uh, like, a little bit about that and about what the saints say about his, his role as an intercessor. There's so much more we could sort of go to, but we want to also, like, bring it down to concretely. Like, we don't want to just hear this sort of profound talk but then not let it um, really inform, like, our our spirituality and our daily life. So, so yeah, so he had this mission to be the husband of Our Lady and the father of Jesus. Obviously, we know the Heavenly Father is the father of Jesus. But I, I, you know, in this setting, don't hesitate to call him the father of Jesus because we know, um, you know, that he's not the natural father, um, but God has given him this, this... gift of fatherhood. And actually, it's sort of funny. It's like a paradox. It's like a, you know, that, you know, fatherhood. How, what do we, how do we think about fatherhood? Like it's so much more than just, you know, begetting a child. So, you know, is St. Joseph, you know, or, or uh, maybe like a foster father, adoptive father, are they more of a father than like a sperm donor who never has any... Um, you know, like we would say that, wouldn't they? Because it's like they're both there, like obviously that, that physical gift of life, but the, the nurturing of the child, the raising of the child, um, that is so much a part of um, fatherhood. And um, so, yeah, again, there's the whole thing about like what's the proper title for St. Joseph, adoptive, adoptive father, foster father, you know, virginal father, all these things. But I think the main, and you know, there's all different theological things you can go into with that, and there's different reasons why you can use different things. But I think foster father is a good one, you know, it's, it's a good one. Um, but that, um, I think what we need to really get our head, heads around is that St. Joseph's fatherhood, we tend to think of it as less than a, fa- real, less than a real fatherhood, right? Like in, in some ways, you know. Actually it shares much more fully in the fatherhood of God than even like a normal father of a family. You might be like, "Uh." because maybe we can use like an example that that John Paul II uses is, I don't think I even have it written down. Um, Can I give an example? Yeah, yeah. It might help. So you know I'm called James Parker, but I wasn't born James Parker. I was born Craig Edward Hindley, because I'm adopted. Okay? But when I got adopted in my family, my father signs a piece of paper and says, everything I have is yours, James, equally to the children I've had as my own blood children. Mm. I'm a Parker. I don't see myself as a Hindley at all. Mm. And yet I met my blood father. I have his nature, but ultimately, my nature and our nature is a super nature of our super, of our eternal father. Mm. And yet, you know, my dad's my dad. Of course he's my dad. Mm. But am I absolutely like him? No, I'm not. 
I'm actually quite different to him, but mm. he's for me to be who I am today. Yeah. So in a, in a sense, Joseph's everything of a dad. Yeah. But he's also aware that he's he's been given this opportunity, but the eternal father's the eternal father. Yeah. Thank you very much. That is very helpful. And I probably you'd I'd say you probably have because I know others that are adopted, and I've seen this person like with her adoptive family, and it's like even though there's no sort of physical resemblance, there kind of is because of their mannerisms. You know, they grew up together. How much actually our Lord would have resembled St. Joseph, even though he didn't have anything from his um, physical, yeah, sort of makeup, or makeup, um, he would have really been like St. Joseph. Um, you know, he spent his time with him, you know, learning the trade. He would have resembled St. Joseph, you know. And this, this is like an incredible mystery that... Because we know that um, for children, their parents are actually their first, um, like, image of God. Um, and so this is a profound mystery in terms of Jesus because obviously he has two natures. He's one divine person, but he has two natures. Um, but in his humanity, he experienced for, for this time the fatherhood of God the Father through the mediation of Saint Joseph. It's incredible. So he is called the shadow of the father, Saint Joseph, the shadow of the father. Um, yeah, that's this beautiful image. And he, so he has this great hiddenness, but it's like he's, he's um, the love of the father. Like one of the writers talks about um, God putting this like, Spark this share in St. Joseph's heart of his own fatherly love for Jesus because of his divine vocation. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I actually thank you for um, sharing that, Father, because I think in a very special way, you would know a lot better than me, but um, that St. Joseph is this beautiful model for um, the virginal fatherhood of the priest as well as the um, fatherhood in a family. Um, I think there's a lot in that, um, in his, yeah, the way that he, you know, ministered to Jesus. Um, yeah, so thank you very much, Father. Um, and yeah, so it's like, it's sort of the same with the priest. It's like we don't think of that as being less of a father unless we're seeing it in like a kind of a natural, this is a supernatural fatherhood. And in, in a similar kind of way, St. Joseph's fatherhood is something supernatural. Actually, because, you know, again, we can look at how it sits, like he's, he actually is the legal father, he's this and that, but, and, and actually how James showed very beautifully, he is just Jesus' dad in, in, this, in this way. Um, but that, and, you know, he's, you know, don't worry, it's not going to detract anything from God the Father, us sharing about this, you know. Like sometimes it's like, you know, we get scared with Our Lady if we give her too much glory or this or that. We can't ever give you know, sort of too much, you know, in the, if we're doing it in the right way, you know, of this glory and this awe over this mystery of the fatherhood of Joseph. So I'll just sort of put that there. But that um, John Paul II, when he talked, I, I really, I just love a quick thing if I can actually find it because the way that he says it is really so beautiful. The way that he explains how he thinks of um, Joseph's fatherhood. Um, I can't find it, but basically he calls it fatherhood in the Holy Spirit. Fatherhood in the Holy Spirit. And actually in Theology of the Body, he's got some things where he talks about um, 
St. Joseph and, and, and about celibacy and just different things. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just encouragement to just, just take it to your prayer, take it to your meditation, um, that, that, you know, Jesus obviously was God and he had a continuous, um, uh, like, you know, in his divinity, just correct me if I'm wrong, Father, but, you know, he had the beatific vision, he had, you know, knowledge obviously, so it's all powerful, is, is, but in his humanity, he had to grow in experiential knowledge. So that's why when the scriptures say he grew, he grew, you know, he went down to Nazareth and was obedient to them. He listened to them, them, Mary and Joseph, um, and he actually grew. So in those things, like with the carpenter, you know, in all those different things. Um, so, he, you know, St. Joseph really taught, you know, our Lord. And how much then would... You know, can we know that he was just a man, um, you know, for God to choose him to be in a, in a very special way, his, the face of the Father's love to Jesus um, in, in this way, you know, just how amazing would he have been, basically, like, you know, um, and holy, you know, and just all the virtues. I also want to take us back to also the... Um, like I guess that that sort of that level of the heart, like what you know you were mentioning, um, Renzo, that um, you know, and that um, you know, God gave um, Jesus, and he was a fruit of this marriage. Actually, Saint Thomas talks about him being a fruit of this marriage. That's why I wasn't going to sort of go into it, but sometimes they say adoptive father isn't even as accurate for Saint Joseph because it's not from outside the marriage, it's from within their marriage. And that's a kind of a, a big mystery. But it, just to say that it was a gift to this marriage. But that, like actually kind of any father, I mean, I don't know because I'm not speaking from the direct experience, but just from um, my studies in terms of marriage and the family, is that in one sense there is this distance for the father, like in the sense that you know, Anna is getting to know... Um, you know, the child in her womb very intimately for, you know, nine months. And Anthony can't actually do that, you know, like... So how is he already kind of loving the child? How, like, how would you say it? Yeah? By loving the mother. <laughs> so, yeah, he, and, and, and it would have grown, but it's like... So during the pregnancy, you know, the father kind of is loving the child through the mother. And that's where I, when I was doing my thesis and I was like learning about all this stuff, and I was like, man, St. Joseph was the first one to love Jesus through the heart of Mary. It's profound. So he was loving Jesus through the heart of Mary. And, and so I do think, and the mother helps teach the father, actually, his fatherhood. They, they help each other, you know, mutually, but she, uh, and a lot of things come a lot more naturally to the, to the mother in terms of, like, nurturing and different things. And there's different roles. We don't want to, like, go into a talk on fatherhood now, but that with St. Joseph, um, you know, there is this sort of level of, I suppose, you're needing to grow into that love. But I would say I don't think um, in this case it's like an imposition of the child or anything. Because of that, like, I, I would sort of say because... He gives his free yes, you know, as we saw in the Annunciation and his fiat. 
and he gives his full yes with his whole heart. So he accepts this child. And that's what a father does or ought to do. That's why it's such a sort of terrible thing when a child is not welcomed by the father, you know, um, when you have a, a woman and she's pregnant and that motherhood is not welcomed. It's a terrible thing. Um, and St. Joseph welcomes this motherhood of Our Lady and he welcomes the child. And he, um, yeah, and God gives him a grace. As you say, it's a, it's a unique situation, you know, but one of the authors talks about God putting this love into, the, into St. Joseph's heart. You know, whenever we're given a vocation, we're given the graces and the love to fulfill it. And he was like in perpetual adoration in a way, during his life. He was with the source of life itself. And so this love, which, you know, is from God, you know, because he, in his own strength or whatever, you know, but God, he's with the source of love, and that also confirms and deepens his fatherhood. So we could just go on forever and ever, couldn't we? Um, okay, yeah, that's why I'm starting. So we're going to get to now our quick practical thing. Just to give you a few quick things of encouragement before I go into the practical things. And thank you so much. Thank you for your contributions and things because it's like we all, you know, grow together and have different insights and this should be hopefully the encouragement to keep learning more about St. Joseph through study but through prayer. Prayer is, you know, through the scriptures. So, um, okay, Here's, this is an awesome quote from John Paul II. After having been a special instrument of divine providence with regard to Jesus and Mary, above all during Herod's persecution, so he's looking after them, St. Joseph continues to carry out his providential and fatherly mission in the life of the church and of all men. The devotion with which Christians in every part of the world, encouraged in this by the liturgy, turn to St. Joseph to confide their troubles to him and to implore his protection. So all over the world there's this devotion to St. Joseph, you know, all cultures and um, yeah, and it's grown historically, and we're actually at a point where it's like, particularly in the kind of 18, 1900s, where it just, like God is bringing it to the fore, actually, in this new millennium. Don't get off track, that's another new thing. But really, he, God is giving us this gift of St. Joseph, like bringing him more and more into the light, actually. But anyway, so that, to get back to JP2's quote, that you know, all these things are encouraging it, the liturgy, you know, everyone's devotion, confirm the singular fact of his limitless fatherhood. It's very sort of JP2, like, just go away and, like, meditate on that for, you know, a good while. So he has this beautiful fatherhood, this mission in the church, and he's the patron of the universal church. Um, okay, so Thomas Aquinas. Some saints are privileged to extend to us their patronage with particular efficacy in certain needs, like St. Anthony for lost things, you know, for example, but not in others, but our holy patron, St. Joseph, has the power to assist us in all cases, in every necessity, in every undertaking. So that's Aquinas for you on St. Joseph. Um, St. Teresa of Avila, one of the greatest uh, sort of uh, promoters of devotion to St. Joseph. She herself was healed miraculously of an illness through St. Joseph's intercession. And she's largely responsible for this great um, wave of devotion to St. Joseph, God using her... Um, yeah, and through the Carmelites. Would that I could persuade all men to be devoted to this glorious saint, for I know by long experience what blessings he can obtain for us from God. 
I have never known anyone who was truly devoted to him and honoured him by particular services, who did not advance greatly in virtue, for he helps in a special way those souls who commend themselves to him. If you want to be holy, go to Joseph to ask his intercession. She, she also says that um, particularly if you want to learn how to pray, she says to go to St. Joseph. Um, I only beg for the love of God that anyone who does not believe me will put what I say to the test and he will see by experience what great advantages come to him from commending himself to this glorious patriarch and having devotion to him. Those who practice prayer should have a special affection for him always, those who practice prayer. Immaculata, yeah. I do not know, and all of us, not just all of us Catholics called to, I do not know how anyone can think of the Queen of the Angels during the time that she suffered so much with the child Jesus. Talking again about Egypt, so we should think about that more. Without giving thanks to St. Joseph for the way he helped them, if anyone cannot find a master to teach him to pray, let him take this glorious saint as his master, and he will not go astray. And different saints, you know, Our Lady has told them to be devoted to St. Joseph. St. Bernadette took Joseph as her father. I think her father died, and she took him as her father. And other saints have done that. So um, there's all the encouragement of the saints and you know, um, go and read the different things of the Pope. But in terms of practically, there's things that we're already doing that we can deepen. So the rosary, the joyful mysteries of the rosary, just meditate on the scriptures. That's what we do in our community too. We've been wonderfully praying the rosary together here, but we often, um, we when we pray like a rosary, you know, we're just praying it ourselves, not um, with others, we have the Bible with us and we we go into those mysteries. So who's to say that we can't look at, you know, the Annunciation to um, St. Joseph when we're also meditating on the birth of Jesus and said the birth of Jesus took place in this way, okay? Um, the, the flight to Egypt, all those things, we can meditate on those things in the rosary. Um, Wednesday, did anyone know that Wednesday is the day devoted to St. Joseph? Sarah did? Yeah, so today's Saturday, it's particularly devoted to Our Lady. Um, Wednesday is the day particularly devoted to St. Joseph. Um, so because we're creatures of habit, you know, maybe you can take up some little practice on a Wednesday, for example. Um, maybe decide to pray the joyful mysteries on a Wednesday or something. Well, I don't want to take away from the glorious mysteries. Do an extra rosary and pray the glorious mysteries. Or, you know, just think of St. Joseph particularly on a Wednesday. Um, and then I think, yeah, John Paul and, and Benedict talk about gazing at the Holy Family. So, again, that's probably like that meditation of the Holy Family. Think about those things. Think deeply about those things. And the other thing that I would encourage you to do is to consecrate yourself to St. Joseph. Um, and I've got, some, I've got some prayer cards, actually, and we can give them to everyone, not just the people who came to this talk, but just a little prayer card similar to that one that was of St. Michael in the, in the prayer pack. So it's got a lit the litany of St. Joseph, um, and then it's got, like, I think a general prayer to St. Joseph, and then it's got, like, a little consecration to St. Joseph. Um, and I think in a very special way that this is, and like I think different from like other saints, you know, like what the saints are saying, St. Joseph is his father, he has this role, he helps us in all our necessities. We can entrust ourselves to him in, in a similar way um, that we entrust ourselves completely to Our Lady. If you've heard of true devotion to Our Lady, consecrating yourself to Jesus through Mary, we can also give ourselves to Joseph because, you know, Mary belongs to Joseph in that sense of the term, you know, the, the husband and wife. Joseph belongs to Mary. Jesus belongs to Joseph. 
Joseph belongs to Jesus. So there's not, do you know what I mean? It's very like natural. They are a family which, you know, we should stop separating them in our minds. The Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Actually, before it was called the Holy Family, a bit shocking, it was called the Earthly Trinity. That's what it was, that's what they talked about the Holy Family, a reflection of the Trinity in heaven. So keep them together um, and think about, yeah, consecrating yourself to St. Joseph, giving yourself to St. Joseph. Um, there's so many, yeah, is that, yeah. Thank you very much. That was Simone Smith with Why Joseph Matters. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.